this time we dismiss the middle schoolers. They go upstairs for their lesson. So middle schoolers, if you'd like to go on up here, dismiss at this time. The rest of us, we're going to continue in our verse-by-verse study in the book of Hebrews that we've been in over the last few months. We're in chapter 12. We'll begin reading that verse 3. Hebrews in the back of the New Testament, chapter 12. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and we'll slip you a Bible here at Calvary Chapel. We like to open our Bibles, read from our Bibles, and we love to go through the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, so we know his word. So um, it's the way to faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. It's the way to growth. And so what a privilege it is to once again be in God's word. So chapter 12 of the book of Hebrews that as I've mentioned, we have been in for uh, several weeks. In the book of Hebrews, it's amazing how many of you have told me that you really haven't done a study in the book of Hebrews, and part of it is because it is a bit technical. There's a lot of references to the Old Testament, a lot of Old Testament uh, terminology, uh, the tabernacle, the Levitical priesthood, their roles and responsibilities, but as we have been going through this book, it has been such an incredible study for us to really get us anchored in the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done for us and of course he is our great high priest and he is the one that is superior that's or better is that word that we have seen several times here in this epistle that he is superior to any religious leader that came on the scene the initial reader of course being one that they knew the old testament the, the hebrew christians that came out of judaism with the temptation to put themselves back under the law put themselves back under the old covenant and they needed to understand who Jesus, the one that they put their faith in, exactly who he is and what he did and accomplished for them, that he is superior to any religious leader that came on the scene, Moses or the patriarchs or Joshua or David. He is greater, uh, his priesthood, because his priesthood is a priesthood forever after the order of Melchizedek. He ministers in a superior sanctuary that is the heavenly sanctuary, and his sacrifice was superior to the animal sacrifices because the animal sacrifices could not bring a completion of removal of sin. That's why they had to do it over and over and over again, day by day, year after year. For 1,500 years, they did that. And we know that it was not enough to take away sin. It was a covering for sin until the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, came and died for our sins once and for all as we see that terminology that is used. So a sacrifice is superior. And because Because of all of that, the writer of Hebrews, inspired by the Spirit of God, says that we can now come boldly into the Holy of Holies with confidence, not our own confidence, but in confidence in the blood of Jesus Christ. And what an incredible privilege and opportunity for us to be able to come into his presence, the presence of our Father, because Jesus has provided forgiveness of sin, eternal life. He is the author of eternal life and access to the Father. He is the only access to the Father. He is the mediator. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so that's what we've been uh, studying. And as we moved in to chapter 12, we covered the first two verses 
last week that the writer of Hebrews, he likens our lives to running a race that is before us. And to remind you once again that every single one of us, we have a race to run. It isn't that I'm running against you, uh, but you have a race that is set before you. And we were encouraged in running that race, how it is that we can run effectively, how it is that we can run unhindered, uh, not being tangled up, not being in bondage. But as we know that as it comes from chapter 11, uh, after they were told, those Hebrew Christians and us, that we are to endure. You're going to go through difficulties, and we're going to see that's going to be mentioned again as we continue in chapter 12. Uh, they come and take your possessions. You have compassion for me and my chains, but you have need of endurance, and then the just shall live by faith is what chapter 10 ends by telling us. And then chapter 11, those who lived in faith, those examples of faith, the hall of faith, as there are those that they would be familiar with all the way from uh, Cain and Abel, but Abel had faith, uh, who was killed by his brother Cain. We also, he would go through the patriarchs and Moses and, and Joshua and David. They would be familiar with their stories, that they went through difficulties themselves, but they all died in faith, verse 13 of chapter 12. And then that leads us to what we read, verses 1 and 2, um, as we are told that we have a race that is before us. And as we run this race, we need endurance to finish the race. And there are certain things that we began to look at that will help us and enable us to endure the race that is before us. We are to, first of all, lay aside every weight. And that weight means a burden. Any burden that comes along, the stuff of life, the, the cares of life, the hobbies of life, whatever, that distracts me away from Christ and how to know him and to draw close to him and to walk with him and how I am to serve him and to live for him. Put those things aside is what we are to do. There's a lot of things, and I believe more things today that can come into our lives that end up actually being away. They take us away from the Lord. Those things in and of themselves aren't necessarily bad for us, but we can get so distracted with the activities and busyness. And I know that the Lord has very gently has reminded me many times in my life that, Jeff, I'm not concerned about your busyness. I'm concerned about you. And I want to spend time with you. And I want you to seek me and to know you and to, uh, for you to know me and my heart. And, and so anything that just keeps us uh, that uh, priority that we have with the Lord in every area of our lives. And then second of all, we're to lay aside every sin which will entangle you. And then we are to look unto Jesus, fix our eyes on Jesus. He's the author and finisher of our faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. And as we are reminded that in this life, as we go through trials and difficulties and, and we go through hard times, that one of the things that we are to do is to keep an eternal perspective. You see, Jesus, he had a cup to drink, the cup of suffering and death, but he knew that he would be exalted and sitting at the right hand of the Father. And even as Paul writes to you and to me for our light affliction that we go through in this life, it's but for a moment, and it is working for us a more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So that's going to be continued to be told to us as we enter into verse 3, read it, of Hebrews chapter 12. For consider 
him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have uh, not get resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. So the writer, once again, telling us to look to Jesus, consider him, which takes on the meaning of that you are to study him. You are to look at him very carefully. So look at him, look to him, because he is everything to us. And that's, once again, what the first ten chapters of the epistle, developing this theological framework very carefully, presenting that Jesus is indeed better or superior to anyone else. Any religious system, any religious leader, he's the author of eternal life, he's provided access to the Father, he's provided forgiveness of sin. So you consider him. You look to him. And that's what we're to do as Christians. He is the example, our perfect high priest, our compassionate and sympathetic high priest. He is the perfect example, one who endured hostilities and sufferings against himself. He endured the cross. He was mocked. He was beaten. He was bound up to where the prophet Isaiah, as we're going to see in a few weeks as we continue through that book on Wednesday night, writes that he was marred more than any other man. He would be scourged with that cat of nine tails. Uh, he would have a crown of thorns that was pounded around his scalp. And in our lives, in this sanctification process that we're going through, and sanctification means to be set apart, you and I are set apart for him. And we are to, to yield ourselves to him, to where we're being conformed into the image of Jesus. We're becoming more Christ-like, uh, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And understand, as we've discussed before in our studies, that the more Christ-like that we become, going from glory to greater glory, that the world is going to be hostile towards us, just like it was towards our Lord. And Jesus would say that the world's going to hate you because it first hated me, and that a servant is not above his master. So remember that as you and I experience hostility from the world, listen, the world is not going to be our friend. The Word of God tells us that we are to not be discouraged by that, but we are to be encouraged by it. Romans chapter 8, verse 17 tells us that indeed if we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. And we know that Jesus would say up there as he was on that hillside in Galilee in the Sermon on the Mount, that blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. And I want to remind us of that because I think that sometimes we as Christians, we get thrown for a loop when the world comes against us. And it can be hard, especially when relationships are strained or severed. Uh, maybe it may come from your own spouse or your children or children experienced from their parents or maybe from other family members or those at work or those who live you know, in your neighborhood. We can experience the hostility and difficulties because we've made a commitment and for Jesus Christ, and we can be thrown for a loop, and oftentimes what can happen is it ends up discouraging us so bad that we just want to throw in the towel. Why live for you, Lord? And the Lord says, don't. Blessed are you, because you are running a race. And know and keep in mind 
that there's eternity that awaits. There's an eternal inheritance. And remember that rewards are going to be given for what we have done for Christ. And notice that Paul, maybe Paul's the writer of this epistle. We don't know for sure, but it's a good possibility that he was. And then as he writes to the Corinthian church, he would write about running your race to win the prize. He would connect that race that we're running with rewards and know that you're going to stand before the Bema reward seat of Jesus Christ, that you're going to be judged for what you've done in the body, whether good or bad. We're not going to be judged for our sins. Jesus took that judgment upon you and me. But what we have done for Christ, the things that we have done for him is what's going to last and be rewarded for it. And know this, keep an eternal perspective. Keep your eyes on the things above, not on the things of this world. I like what Warren Worsby, he said that heaven is not just a destination, but it's a motivation. And every Christian should be looking forward to heaven. And I think that we need to keep in mind what Jesus said, store up your treasures in heaven, not here on earth where it's, you know, thieves can break in and moths destroy and rust and all of this. It's going to go away but store up your treasures in heaven that are going to last forever. The heavenly perspective. And as verse 4, the writer telling them, you have not resisted to bloodshed, indicating that they're being persecuted, but not unto death. Maybe perhaps before this epistle, best guess, was written around 62 uh, AD, right before Caesar Nero began to heavily persecute the Christians. Of course, he had Peter put to death, Paul put to death about 67 AD. And then after that, there was Domitian that he began to persecute the Christians very heavily. The early church, the, the Christians, some of them were put to death. We know that in the earliest of the church, that it was Saul, uh, Paul the apostle, before he was converted, Paul there, Saul there in Jerusalem holding the coats, given the consent to have Stephen be stoned to death there in Acts chapter 7. But we know that it is the Christians that later on would go through that widespread persecution. So that's what most commentators are suggesting. This is what is is you know, taking place at this time, you haven't gone through what our Lord has gone through in the sufferings of the cross, uh, indicating that perhaps the temple had not been destroyed there in Jerusalem when Roy, uh, Rome would come in in 70 AD and Titus and the Roman legions surrounded Jerusalem. And Josephus, the Jewish historian, telling us that 1.1 million Jews were killed. So here, you haven't gone through that, that widespread you know, Christians being put to death. But I want us to think about something here. As you recall that last week, that we talked about Jesus' prayer in the garden uh, right before he would be arrested and bound up and taken on a series of trials that would lead him to, to Calvary. But he would pray that, Father, if, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, the cup of suffering and death. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And in this exercise of faith, in the race that is before us, it will include cost. It will. Jesus said that if you're going to be my disciples, you need to count the cost. It's going to involve sacrifice. There's going to be hostility and difficulty that comes to us, even as Jesus experienced it to a great degree. And it would be after Jesus' prayer in the garden in John chapter 18, verse 11. 
after Peter, of course, they came to arrest Jesus, and Peter pulls out his little sword, and he cuts off the ear of Malchus, the servant of the high priest, that Jesus said, Peter, put the sword away. Shall I not drink of the cup which my father has given me to drink? That is the cup of suffering and death. And the issue for us Christians is accepting and being at peace, listen, concerning the cup that the Father has given us to drink. And all of us who name the name of Jesus, that we will all go through different experiences and difficulties and different degrees of hostility by the hands of others. But all of us who are committed to our Lord, there will be a cup to drink that will include that. Because the world is not our friend. There's going to be sacrifices. There's going to be hostility that will come to us. All because we belong to another kingdom. That is the kingdom of God. And again, I want you to realize that because sometimes the mentality in the churches, you know, to be a Christian, you got to, you know, befriend the world and, and the world's going to applaud you and be all for the world, whatever it may be. Listen, we're at odds with the world. And we want to be salt and we want to be light and we want to give truth. We want to give truth in love. But it means that the world's going to be hostile towards us and we need to be at peace with that. And we need to come to accept that, uh, that, that even as the apostles in Acts chapter 5, that they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for his name's sake. In any hostility that comes against you, to have that same mindset that, man, I'm counted worthy to, to suffer persecution or hostility for your namesake, Lord. And true spiritual maturity will include the Lord breaking us of our self-will and self-centeredness and accept the cup that the Lord has for us. And again, in some circles of Christianity, that so much of it is just, you know, you've got to proclaim what you want. You've got to name it and claim it and all of these things and what's in it for me mentality. You see, what is it that the Lord has for me and how does he want me to live? To die to self and pick up my cross and follow after him. To, to be what God has called me to be is what I want. And it won't be friends with this world to do what God has called me to do and to go where God has called me to go. Because that's what pleases my Lord. And when we come to the point of in our lives and in our race of just having peace with that, make sure that you keep your eyes on him. Consider him who endured the cross that was set before him. And to know that eternity waits for you. But in verse 5, we read, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he scourges every son whom he receives. In verse 7, If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. In verse 9, furthermore, uh, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? 
For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for a profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. And in verse 11, now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. It seems as though as we move into chapter 5, this section, chapters, uh, uh, or verse 5 through verse 11, it, there's kind of this abrupt change from running our race that is set before us and to endure and don't become weary and discouraged in your souls to now all of a sudden the chastening or the discipline of the Lord. It's almost as if the writer here puts his pen down after verse 4 and he got up and he went out to get some coffee or came back the next day, had a bad night of sleep and he comes back and he sounds a little grumpy or something and you better remember about the discipline, the chastening, the scourging of the Lord. You know, he scourges every son and man, this is heavy and hard and what happened to this gentle encouragement to now this strong exhortation? Well, as we read this, of course, this is all inspired by the Spirit of God and we're going to look at it, we're going to see that there's a logical flow. There's a connection that has taken place. Because when we think of godly discipline, what do we think of oftentimes? Oftentimes we'll think of God's disfavor, right? That, that God is angry at me, <clears throat> that he's punishing me. Uh, perhaps you have felt this way or had somebody say this to you. I know many times somebody will come to me and say, I think God's judging me. And I will very carefully explain to them, Jesus took the judgment for you. But we think it's some kind of disfavor of God, punishment, and we're full of fault and the judgment of God. And we need to understand that the word for chastening here in Hebrews chapter 12 means to teach or instruct for the purpose of education, learning, and nurturing. That is the primary meaning of the word. Now, discipline does include being corrected. Oftentimes it is. It can also, discipline, be preventative. Other times it's instructive. And you see, discipline can come when you're doing poorly or going down the wrong path or way or mindset that you have that is not, you know, what the Lord would have for you. Or sometimes it comes when we're doing well. He's showing us things. He's teaching us. So let's go over these verses again, and I believe that there are six things that we need to keep in mind as we experience the discipline of the Lord. You might want to write these things down or highlight it in your Bible, but for you note-takers, number one, you can write down, don't forget. Don't forget, verse 5, you have forgotten. In other words, don't forget the importance of God's discipline. And we need to understand that God wants the very best for us. You have a race that is set before you. You are called to endure. Look to Jesus who experienced hostility from sinners to a greater degree than you have. For you have to run this race, lay aside every weight, every sin that ensnares you. Drink the cup that God has for you. Don't forget that God's going to bring discipline into your life. It's like we have some kids that run track. In high school, we even have a couple students up at the university that run track. And the coach will make their runners run, will push them. 
We'll discipline them in the running so they become good runners. The, the runners don't come to track practice and say, well, I don't feel like running today. Matter of fact, I'm kind of tired. I'm just going to sit over here in the grass and eat a bag of chips or whatever. No, it isn't that way. It is you're going to run, and then the next day you're going to at practice run, and the next day you're going to run, and that is instilled in the runners so they can be successful and do their very best. And it's that way in life, isn't it? If we excel in academics, if we excel in sports or in music, there needs to be discipline. Parents, we do that with their kids. We discipline them. We, we, we are encouraging them telling them that you need to keep studying, you need to keep practicing. When my kids were playing piano, that it was something that Sue would always every day remind them, you need to practice, you need to keep at it, you need to practice. And these Christians in their spiritual lives needed to know that God wanted them to excel, to be successful as far as the kingdom is concerned. So don't forget That includes the teaching, the instruction, the correction, the nurturing of the Lord in your life constantly. Because God is more interested in developing godly character in you and me and godly commitment than our, you know, wanting to be comfortable. And even when we're experiencing hardship, because you belong to him. And you belong to the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of this world. So number one, don't forget. Second of all, Verse 5 again, don't despise. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. And in verses 5 and 6, the writer is quoting, you might think that sounds familiar. Well, we went over Proverbs not long ago last year in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. Don't despise the chastening of the Lord. One of the things that I've said this before, that when I was a kid growing up, that my dad, he, he would come in, and he always had chores for us to do. It'd be Saturday morning, or we'd come home from school. He always had something for us to do. And, and at the time, you know, I wanted to sleep in. I wanted to lay around in my pajamas. I didn't want to do those things. But as I've gotten older, I appreciate the work ethic that he instilled in me and, and my siblings that work is good. And the Lord, he does the same thing with us. We instill certain things into our children. Again, as they are to study, they are to practice, they, we instill you know, a good work ethic. And, and fathers, I know that you know this, but teach your kids to work. Teach them the importance of hard work. And you can talk to supervisors today. I do. Those in this church or those who oversee you know, people at work, and they'll tell you it's hard today to get young people that want to work because they haven't learned that. Don't raise lazy kids. And I think that we know that. And at that time, you know, there were times where I despised it. I got to get up, and Dad's got things for me to do, but I'm very thankful for it right now. And we do that with our children, knowing that they need to learn those things. And the Lord is teaching us and correcting us and instructing us, don't despise it. Be open to it. Receive it. Sometimes the Lord will show us things that are hard to be shown or to go through things that are difficult to go through because it goes against what we want in life or what our flesh wants. Remember that the Lord is wanting us to grow and to mature. And sometimes I can get Christians in my office and they can get really irritated with me 
because I'll give them God's word. This is what God's word has to say about your situation. This is what you are to forsake. This is what you're to pursue. This is what you're to turn to. This is what you're to turn away from. It's very clear. God loves you. And he wants to work in your life. And they'll say, I, I can't do that. I don't want to do that. That's too hard. Too difficult. Uh, that doesn't make sense for me. And I know that they're headed for difficult times. We need to always be teachable. A soft heart to receive the correction of the Lord. Lord, if there's anything to where I'm not in line with your will, an attitude, direction I'm going, being a part of whatever, Lord, correct me, show me, and teach me, and chasten me. So when it comes to the chastening of the Lord, the discipline of the Lord, don't forget. Number two, don't despise. And then number three, again, verse five, don't be discouraged by it. He scourges every son. That word scourge has the root meaning of handle or squeeze. When God wants to bring discipline into our lives, it can feel like he's really putting the pressure on us. He, he's the master potter, right? We're the clay, the Bible says. And so we're on that potter's wheel, and to make us a useful vessel, beautiful vessel for him, he's going to push just like the master potter, he, he pushes on that clay, he pushes and he squeezes, but he's making something of beauty. He's making a useful vessel, and that's the way we are. The Lord, he's shaping us and molding us, and a lot of times we want to jump off that wheel, that potter's wheel, because we don't like it. After you know, service here, the parents, those of you who have little ones, you're going to grab them by the hand, right, as you go out into the parking lot, and you say, stay with me. You know, don't run off. Because you don't want them to get hit by a car. There's cars out there. You know that it's not safe. So you got them by the hand, and you're holding them. And they don't always like it. You know, the kids are pulling on you, and they're fussing and all of this. But we don't want them to get run over. And sometimes when the Lord is working in our lives, he's doing something like that in our spiritual lives. And we can get discouraged and we want to pull away, but we shouldn't. And remember that every Christian, there is chastening that has taken place with me, with you, with all of us. We all go through the discipline of the Lord and it can be hard at times. But God is doing it because of his love for you as his child. Jesus said in Revelation chapter 3, verse 19, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. And just as we as parents discipline and correct and teach and, and nurture our children, why do we do it? Because we love them, right? Right, dads? We correct our children, we discipline them, we nurture them because we love them so much. And they need that in their lives. We want what is the best for them to grow up and to do well in life. And discipline is not always easy, and it certainly isn't fun. But it is absolutely necessary. And our responsibility to our children, that, that we've been ordained to do that. And it's an awesome responsibility. You see, as parents, particularly as they're young, we're not called just to be their pal. We're called to be their father, their mom. Now, as they grow up, as my kids are, are becoming adults, that comes, you know. We can, you know, it's, the relationship changes to where, you know, we're good friends, and, but they're still my son, still my daughters. And there is that responsibility that we have for them to teach and correct. 
Don't think that the Lord is singling you out because he brings chastening to all of his children and wants the very best for you because of his love towards you. So don't be discouraged. Number four, that verses seven and eight, endure it. Let's read it again. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Paul in Galatians chapter 4 points out that we are adopted sons of Christ, daughters and sons of the living God. We have an inheritance, and Christ came to redeem us that we might receive uh, the adoption as his children. And he has sent forth the spirit of adoption that we cry out, Abba, Father. That word Abba literally means Papa. You see, because you are God's child and because he loves you, endure the chastening because it is a process that takes place over the course of our lives. God deals with you as his child. You see, the kids here at Calvary Chapel, they'll call me pastor, but they don't call me dad because I'm not their father. And, and my children call me dad because we have relationships. And we have relationship with the true and the living God. The spirit of adoption through Jesus Christ, we can cry out, Abba, Papa. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? And a child gets into trouble here at church, you know, and, and maybe they're misbehaving. I don't run over there and discipline them. You, you know, the neighbor kid, you know, gets in trouble. I don't go over there and discipline them. Now, there may be a time where I talk with them, I speak with them, but, but you're the one that's going to discipline them. You're the one that's going to nurture your child and, and, and be the one that's going to lead in, in doing that with them, dealing with them. And we know that disciplining our children is something we do daily and constantly and continually because our boys are going to be young men someday. And our girls are going to be young women someday. And the Lord is conforming us into his image, so we must endure the chastening of the Lord. It's a lifelong process. As a matter of fact, I, I like what the late Tom Landry said. Some of us that are old enough remember uh, he was the coach of the Dallas Cowboys for over 20 years in the 60s, 70s, into the 80s, early 80s. But he said this, the job of the coach is to make men do what they don't want to in order to be what they've always wanted to be. And you see, we're helping our children to grow to be adults, men and women of God. God wants to deepen our love and relationship with him. And it comes by chastening his children whom he loves. To be the man or woman of God, to be the husband, wife, to be the father, to be the mother that he wants you to be. Fifthly. When it comes to God's discipline, be in subjection to it. Verse 9, furthermore, it's like the writer saying, I'm not done yet. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? Have the right attitude about God's chastening or discipline. Sometimes we can, you know, have self-pity and complain and murmur, and we end up resenting God. When God is showing us things that are hard, perhaps we don't quite understand what it is that he is doing. Have you ever been in that place where you thought, Lord, is just feeling the pressure. I'm not sure what you're showing me right now, what you're doing. Just be in subjection to what God is teaching and showing you. Because, again, remember that it is eternity's perspective that is in mind and what he wants 
for you and wants the very best for you to grow you and keep in mind this Romans chapter 8 verse 32 many of you know the verse that he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all how shall he not with him also freely give us all things and the implication is all good things now that doesn't mean that he's going to give you your wants Again, a lot of Christians think, well, this will be good for me, God. I want this, so give it to me. Well, if he hasn't given you something, it's because it's not good for you at this time. And we need to understand that. How many times do your kids come to you when they're little and, you know, it's, it, and they say, I want ice cream and it's breakfast time. Do you want to give them ice cream at breakfast? No. So you know it's not good for them. And so the Lord, if he isn't giving you something that's not good for you, maybe he has something better at a different time, but we can trust him. He didn't spare his own son, so he gave us the very best. And if we can trust him with our salvation, then we can trust him with our lives. And he's not going to withhold anything that is good for us. So maybe you didn't get that promotion at work. Maybe the Lord withheld it because... He knows that it wouldn't be good for you. Maybe it's going to take you away. You're going to be so busy. Whatever the case may be. Maybe you didn't get that you know, house. Maybe you didn't get that car. Maybe something, that relationship went south. Because he is working what is best for you in eternity's perspective. And I don't want to lean on my own understanding. And I'm not going to complain and murmur and be full of bitterness and be resentful towards you. But rejoice that you're not going to withhold from me what is good. Your discipline is not misplaced or to bring me down or to harm me or to bum me out and make my life miserable. It's so that you can be free and be all that he wants you to be. And then number six, quickly, profit by God's discipline. For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. And now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The Lord's desire for us to walk in his holiness. And I know that I see God's holiness being worked out in a believer's life. And when I see that, I know that they've gone through the chastening of the Lord. We yield to the peaceable fruit of righteousness as we are trained by the Lord. Now, discipline by the Lord isn't always, again, easy or fun, but it is for my profit and benefit to live a holy life, to have peace in my life, that I may pursue righteousness, living rightly the way God wants me to. So, when I disciplined, or I did my kids when they were younger, it was a real drag for them. It wasn't a good time. It wasn't a good time for me. But they knew and they understand now it's because I wanted them to learn to live wholesome, responsible, right lives. And that's what the Lord's doing with us. So listen, for you and for me, the discipline, the chastening of the Lord, we have a race to run, a race that is set before you. So don't forget, when it comes to the chastening of the Lord, don't despise it. Don't be discouraged by it, but endure it. Be subject to it, and then profit by it. So Calvary Chapel, every single one of you, run. Okay, run your race. 
Run your race with endurance. Lay aside every weight and sin that easily ensnares you. Look to Jesus. And then as you endure the chastening of the Lord, knowing that he is working in you, the peaceable fruit of righteousness. So, Father, we thank you so much for this lesson. So much that is here, but, uh, Lord, so necessary for us to understand that you're a loving father who loves your children. We have relationship with you, and that includes the chastening of the Lord. So we learn so much from this that it isn't because you hate us. It isn't because you're, you know, judging us. Jesus took that judgment upon the cross. It's because you love us and you want what's best for us. So, Lord, may we always be teachable, learning, receiving from you, rejoicing in what you're doing, knowing that you are doing good. Father, I just want to pray that this morning, if, if maybe you're here, maybe you say, I don't even know if I am a son or daughter of, of, of God. That it comes through relationship with him, comes through believing in Jesus and what he did for you. You see, Jesus, the son of God, came to this world to die for your sins. Sin has separated us from him. And the wages of sin is death. So Jesus, the perfect son of God who lived a perfect life, came and died in your place. He hung on a cross for you. And your sins were placed upon him as he shed his blood to make atonement for sin. And he is your salvation. There is none other. He alone died for you. And he alone rose from the grave as they put him in a grave. And he rose three days later. And he's at the right hand of the Father. And he is your forgiveness, your salvation, and your access to the Father. There's nothing else and no one else. And so will you give your life to Jesus to be forgiven, to have the hope of eternal life, to be a son or daughter of the living God? He loves you so much. He's calling you. And you come in faith, realizing that you're a sinner that needs to be forgiven and surrendering your life to Jesus. You can pray right where you are. If you're listening on live stream or on the radio later or in this building, that you can pray, Jesus, I come to you and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. Forgive me. I have sinned against you. I believe you died for me. You were put into a grave in your life, speaking to my heart right now, and I ask that you sit upon the throne of my life as my personal Lord and Savior. And I want to know you and walk with you. And the Lord trust you every day. And I thank you for this new beginning. I thank you for this new, new person that I am now, spiritually born again by the Spirit of God. And I thank you for hearing my prayer in Jesus' name. And listen, we're going to have a prayer team up front here that if you prayed that prayer, I want you to come up and tell them the decision you made so we can bless you and minister to you but for all of us may we just receive the chastening of the lord and not despise it but receive it knowing that you love us and father i pray for the earthly fathers that are here i thank you for the ministry that you've given to us bless every father here help us in our responsibilities and what you've called us to do then nurture and train our children in the ways of the lord lord help us with wisdom and strength and courage to do what you've called us to do. Bless everyone here now as we go our way, our day. 
And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand? If you need prayer for anything, the prayer team will be up front here. We're just going to close here in a minute. Travis is going to, to close us. May the Lord bless you. Hope to see you on Wednesday night. Come join us for the Isaiah study. I know that you'll be tremendously blessed by that study. Travis? Precious Prince of Peace, I hear your breath to you sing. Come now, fount of all blessings. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers. Have a wonderful Sunday, everyone.
Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive.